Welcome to the Grove Church Podcast and thegrovekc.com. Our mission as a church is to encourage people to discover true treasure in Jesus Christ. We hope you find today's teaching helpful and encouraging. Thanks for joining us. Well, hey guys, good morning. Welcome again. If we haven't met, my name is Christian. I'm the lead pastor here, and we're continuing a series through the letter of 1 Timothy, a letter from the Apostle Paul, a guy who God used mightily to uh, plant churches early on as the, the movement that came out of what Jesus did uh, began to spread. He's a guy whose life was radically transformed, and uh, God then used him uh, in part to write a good part of the New Testament as well. And so he writes this letter to a protege, Timothy, a younger man who he is going to entrust with a lot of the work that he had already started. And Part of that work had to do with the church at Ephesus. He writes this letter because things are not going as well as they should be and could be there, and so he wants to help get things back on track. And Timothy's been sent to do that job, and and now Paul's writing to him to help kind of buoy up that work, help inform Timothy, encourage encourage Timothy in terms of what is to come. And so we're almost at the, the tail end of the letter, making our way into the last chapter there, and I'll just remind you what we've been saying all along is that this is a letter addressed to Christ followers. It's addressed to the church. It's meant to, uh, it's directly to Timothy, but it's meant to go from Timothy to the church there at Ephesus and to then the church forever going forward. And so it's addressed then for Christ followers. And what we need to understand is that fighting is the family business. There's an aspect of fighting that's involved in being a Christ follower, but it's for now. It's this side of heaven. There's a day when the fighting will cease. And so we're reminded throughout this letter that we fight not against people, but for God's plan to advance. That's, that's the battle, is to see the plan of God advance. And it's a plan that yields ultimate and eternal peace. It's a plan in which we can enjoy a perfect relationship. That peace will bring about a perfect relationship with our maker and with one another. So that's what we've been looking at, then the nuts and bolts of how does that happen within the church? How do we need to move forward together in doing that? And last week, we looked at the importance of treating one another like family, recognizing that the church is the family of God. So as we looked at that, we said, you know, we're called to give as we have received from Jesus. We're to give to one another, and and we're especially supposed to give in terms of honoring the widows among us. Each of us is responsible for our own families But as the family of God, when there is someone who doesn't have family to take care of them, we have a special responsibility to honor them by caring for them. And today, we're going to continue along those lines, but turn our attention to those who lead us in the church and and in our work even. We're going to look at both of those with an emphasis on leaders in the church. So I'm going to turn 1 Timothy 5. We're going to finish the chapter and then begin to dip into chapter 6, starting in verse 17. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's Bibles in front of you. Please use that or, or feel free to even take that home as a gift from us to you. You can pull it up on your phone. Um, some of the other verses will be, uh, that we look at will be up on the screens. But we're going to look here at 1 Timothy 5. Here's what the, the Word of the Lord says. It says, The elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker is worthy of his wages. 
Don't accept an accusation against an elder unless it is supported by two or three witnesses. Publicly rebuke those who sin so that the rest will be afraid. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing out of favoritism. Don't be too quick to appoint anyone as an elder and don't share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Don't continue drinking only water, but use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Some people's sins are obvious, preceding them to judgment, but the sins of others surface later. Likewise, good works are obvious, and those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden. All who are under the yoke as slaves should regard their own masters as worthy of all respect, so that God's name and his teaching will not be blasphemed. Let those who have believing masters not be disrespectful to them, because they are brothers, but serve them even better, since those who benefit from their service are believers and dearly loved. Let me pray for us. Father, I do thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth and the practicality of it. I thank you most of all that it reveals you to us. It allows for us to to know you better. Um, You have spoken so that we could be your friends. We could be a part of your family. And so we thank you for that. I do confess, Lord, as we look into this, there's, there's a couple potential problems, one being that I might be self-seeking because this is dealing with my role specifically. Um, But another potential problem, Lord, is that I would blunt the edge or dull the edge of something that you intend to use sharply to uh, do some heart work in us. And so I pray that, that neither of those would be the case, but instead your truth would be clear and that you would use it to help us to walk in obedience with you. You are good, Lord, and I thank you for that, and uh, we pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. And what I want to do is start out at the end, okay? We'll go here, these last couple verses in chapter 6, or these first couple verses in chapter 6, where it deals with slaves and masters, and just say a couple things uh, about what's going on here. I want to make a note, though. Most people at this time worked for themselves, Okay? There wasn't a lot of corporations, wasn't a lot of even small businesses. So you're talking about most people working for themselves. And so we come across passages like this where we're dealing with slaves and masters, and it is uh, addressed to them, and it's appropriate for us then today to take those and say, well, uh, let's apply that to now boss-employee type relationships. That is an appropriate connection to be made, okay? Um, Because it's just different, and that's how we can now apply this. Uh, There's some other things I want you to understand about the slavery of the time. This yoke that's spoken of here is different in significant, very significant, important ways from the yoke of the transatlantic slave trade that we tend, where our minds tend to go when we hear the word slavery. There are fundamental differences, very significant differences. Now, I did a whole lot more on this about three years ago in a series we called Asking for a Friend. Uh, The question was, doesn't the Bible condone slavery? And I would encourage you, if you want to know more along these lines, if this just by the nature of that even coming up is kind of rocking around in your brain and you're like, I can't even think about anything else because this is what we're dealing with, I would really encourage you, go listen to that. I've even put the little QR code, so I don't mind if you're like flashing your phone up at the screen right now. Uh, If you want to go find that, you can go see it on our website and go check that out. But if you want to know more about that, there you go. In the meantime, I'll say just a couple of, uh, of things. Okay? The instruction here is clear. 
Okay, the, the clear instruction is slave, honor your master. Okay, now, especially the instruction comes to those who are also your brother in Christ, right? He says, especially obey and, and, and honor your master if he's a brother in Christ. Don't think that you get to slide just because you guys are both Christ followers. Instead, he says, serve even more diligently. Now, why? Paul goes on, he says, so that God's name and his teaching will not be blasphemed. What Paul's getting at here is that there is a watching world who will get the wrong impression if you treat this leader disrespectfully. And that's his concern. There's a watching world that's going to get the wrong idea. And furthermore, he says, do this because your master, this brother in Christ, will benefit you're helping a brother in Christ. And, and, and because of that, we get a, just a, like I said, you can go listen to the longer sermon, but this is a breadcrumb of what God intends to do with the institution of slavery, how he goes about seeking to undo it. Okay, that's his plan. But this is a little breadcrumb because in Roman culture, slaves are regarded as the ones who benefit from being in their situation. They are largely in these slave-master situations because they owe a great debt, and, and this is how they can get out of that debt. And so they are seen as being the ones who are benefiting from being in that, that condition. But here, what Paul says is just, it's, it's really pretty provocative because he's saying, look, actually, your master is going to benefit from you. You, Christ follower, have this opportunity to kind of turn this thing on its head. And what we get, again, is just a breadcrumb that what God intends to do is subversively undo slavery in all of its forms. And that goes all the way back into the Old Testament. We see that again and again and again. Okay? So just a little, little nugget, a little snapshot of what he's intending to do. But what we see here and what we're going to look at in more detail regarding leaders in the church is that as good fighters, honoring our leaders displays God's goodness. As good fighters in this good fight, honoring our leaders is a way to display the goodness of God. I want to take you back to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We, we looked through this early on in this series. We said, we're told there, first of all, in light of the truth of God and, and what God's done, what we call the gospel, having been saved from our sin, from our rebellion, and brought back into the family of God, he says, first of all then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. What Paul says there, and what he, he alludes to throughout this letter, is that our behavior as Christ followers, and this is true throughout the, the New Testament, our behavior as Christ followers is not only for the proper, healthy functioning of the family of God. Okay? That is a key part of it. But it's not only for that. It, it's also meant to be a compelling testimony to those who are not a part of the family. Those who are not Christ followers, who are not a part of uh, the, the family of God, the church of God. They should be able to look and go, you know, I, I don't really believe what they believe. don't really care for a lot of that. But, you know, there's something there. There's no doubt this makes a real difference in their lives. There's no doubt that it, there's, there's a different quality to their living as a result of their trust in this Galilean carpenter who lived 2,000 years ago and 
I mean, we know it's dead, but they believe it's still alive. It should make a difference. Because the family of God only exists because God wants us to be rescued from our rebellion and reconciled to him, right? That's why the family exists. And so in light of 1 Timothy 6, 1 through 2, we should be careful to honor our leaders in the workplace. Okay, that is a natural application of what we just read. Don't walk away here thinking, yeah, that doesn't apply to me. No, it does. That, that's absolutely something you should be thinking about, is how am I treating my leaders, regardless of whether they are Christ follower or not, and rather, whether they're even a great leader or not, how am I treating them? Am I honoring them in their position? But today what I want to do is really focus on 1 Timothy 17, 5, 17 through 25, and what it means to honor leaders in the church, specifically those that serve as pastor elder, this role that, that I'm in. Okay. Pastor Kyle, our associate pastor, okay, what specifically, how do we think about that role? Okay. I came across this article, thinking about this, came across an article from that great bastion of truth, the Babylon Bee. Okay. Here's, the, here's the headline from a few years ago. Pastor, still not sure how he landed this sweet job where he only has to work one hour a week. Okay. Sweet job. Now, here's a quote from the, the pastor in the article. You'd think there'd be more to pastoring, like visiting people, studying for sermons, planning, planning a service, counseling church members. But nope, he said as he relaxed at home and prepared to fire up another round of Call of Duty. I just show up on Sunday, share what's on my heart, and that's literally all there is to it. Now, hopefully you understand this is satire, okay? That's not a real article, not a real pastor, I hope. Um, what I want us to see is that in the church... There is more to this role. And more importantly, see that honoring leaders is right and good. And as we'll see today, it involves providing for them, it involves protecting them, and it also involves really just understanding why we should do those things. Okay, so let's dive in. The first thing that Paul tells us here is we honor leaders with the privilege of respect and support. We honor leaders with the privilege of respect and support. He says in 17, the elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain, and the worker is worthy of his wages. Now, important to recognize, it says, I said privilege. On the one hand, this is the, a responsibility of the church. That's what Paul's saying. Look, the church needs to do this thing, but it's really vital that those who serve in this role understand this is a privilege. This is not something that is, they should just take for granted or demand. It is a privilege. And so here, says, here the instructions to the church are, give these folks double honor. Give these men double honor. What he means there is respect and support, okay? financial support. Sometimes when he uses that word honor, he has in mind the respect that they deserve. He's just talking about respect, the respect that would come with following their leadership. But other times when he uses that word honor, he means financial honor, right? Financially supporting them. In fact, just last week when we talked about the widows who needed to be honored, he had in mind a financial honoring of them. So he's using it both. When he says double honor, he means honor upon honor. These two kind of forms of the honor that, that they are due. You say, well, why? And he, what Paul does is he takes us back into the Old Testament and into the very new scriptures of what Jesus has said. So he quotes first Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. He 
He's quoting Moses who says, hey, look, the ox who's treading out the grain should get to eat some of what he's producing. And Paul actually elaborates on this in another letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9. And he brings up this same verse. And there he, he kind of drives at this larger conclusion. He says in verse 11, if we've sown spiritual things in, for you, is it too much if we reap material benefits from you? Notice what he's connecting. He's saying, we've done something spiritual. We're leading for you. There's a spiritual benefit for you. And so it is appropriate, in light of what the Old Testament has said, that we would benefit materially from you. Very often, what we want to do is take the spiritual stuff, and we set it over here, and we take the material stuff, and we set it over here, and we want to be sure to keep a big gap in between them, because one shouldn't affect the other. That's not at all the outlook from the Bible. The Bible doesn't at all do that. This is, that's pagan thinking, okay? It goes back, there's all kinds of times where that's shown up, where we do this and we separate these things out. That's not what the Bible does. In fact, so then we say, no, there are spiritual things going on. Those have material outcomes. They have material benefits. And, and part of the way we think about that is when it comes to providing support for those who lead in the church. He also quotes Jesus. Luke chapter 10, verse 7, Jesus talks about a worker being worthy of his wages. Okay, so he's, and, and it's, again, fascinating because here we are just a, a couple decades after Jesus has walked the earth, after his resurrection, and already, well, here's Paul saying, oh yeah, this is the scripture. This, this is scripture. What Jesus has said, that's scripture. Okay, so when you start to get into, can the Bible be trusted, just understand that's, that's part of the factor why we believe that this is the word of God. Now, note, it is not required for an elder to take a salary. That's not required. Paul very often did not. But what he's making clear is it is good and right for the church to provide for those who can and so that they can serve in this, in this fashion. And he's more importantly helping us understand there's a very real connection between material and spiritual. There's a real connection. These are both true, but that's real. These two things can go together. Now, I will say this. This makes no sense if you think of the church kind of along the same lines as a farmer's market. Okay? If you see the church as, as just kind of a part of the way you would think about spiritual goods and services like a farmer's market, this instruction doesn't make much sense, right? Because sometimes we treat spiritual things kind of like I'm going to the farmer's market, right? I can go to the farmer's market, and, and there it's really great because I got one farm, and they specialize in tomatoes. They've got really great tomatoes. They sell some other stuff, but, but they've got some good tomatoes there. But then I can walk down the aisle a little bit farther, and there I find, man, oh, this place, look, they've got okra. Like, no, I don't like okra, but some people do. And, so, and then these people happen to have some, and, and oh, I can get my okra over here. And then I can go along to the other aisle, and there I might find a, a good you know, meat supply and I go a little bit farther. Oh, these people have honey. Oh, oh, look, I can get my pork and, and I can go sort of pick. But I love the fact that I'm just getting to pick a little bit from every different spot. And very often that's how we see the church. It's just one of the booths at the farmer's market. I'm going to go to a bunch of other places to get all the stuff I need to stock up. But I'm not really committed because if somebody else shows up at the, the farmer's market next week and they've got better tomatoes, I'm just going to go to their booth because it's right here. It's, that's easy. And more and more, I see that's the way we treat 
the church. It's just, it's just one option where I can get something. Maybe it's the fact that, oh, it's close by. And, and it's convenient because they have a service at 1030 instead of another time. And, and these aren't things that you don't think about. But if I boil down my involvement and my, my growth as a Christ follower to where can I sort of just pick and pull and find all the things that I think in my infinite wisdom I need, then this kind of commitment to paying and supporting pastors that we're going to talk about, it makes no sense, okay? So if that's you, you may say, well, you didn't exactly describe my situation. That's fine. There's other reasons why this may not make sense. But if our understanding of the church is different than that, if we see it as, no, this is this place where I have a commitment to them and they have a commitment to me, and we're working together, and, and actually these people serve to help me grow and walk with the Lord, and it has a real impact on my life, it's meant to do that then we begin to see why this is so important. This is why in the church we emphasize what we call the hard attitudes. In part, this is how do we treat each other. It's just a summary of what does the New Testament say about how the people of God should treat one another and how they should regard the local church that they're a part of. And so hard attitude number six is support the work financially. And hard attitude number seven is follow spiritual leadership within scriptural limits. That's an important qualifier. I don't just follow them in everything. I don't come and tell you what breakfast cereal to buy, okay? Or which farmer's market to attend, right? I, I don't do that. But within scriptural limits, there's a certain authority that, that spiritual leadership is supposed to have. And, and so these two things together help emphasize, oh yeah, this is how we operate in, in the church. We help support those who are helping us. And frankly, this is part of why I give. At different points throughout our lives as the kids have gotten older, there's been this question, well, hey, wait, so the church, we get our money from the church, like they pay you because this is your job, and so, but then, but then we give money back to the church, so, like, and their brains are cranking, right? It's like, so really you're paying your own salary, right? Is that what's going on? And, well, yeah, but no, I mean, that's not the, the thing here. We're giving because this is not my mission. It's not my church. This is the church of Jesus. This is his thing. And we want to be a part of what Jesus is doing. And so we're supporting that work. And, and my following has looked like different things over the years. But this is just a part of what you do as a saint who's committed in the local church. And so I would ask you to consider, what, what is your outlook on the local church? How do you think about that? Maybe you're coming around and you're saying, hey, I want to know more about what it means to be a member, be committed, be a part of this particular church. Which... Next week, I would invite you to explore the growth, okay? November 12th in the afternoon, we're going to walk through a lot of those things. A couple hours, have some snacks. I'll get to tell you a little bit about what does it mean to be a church member at the Grove Church, okay? But for all of us, I would ask you, are you engaged enough to really benefit? Right? You look at this, you go, well, I, I mean, that's fine, but that's not my experience. And, and I would just ask, it doesn't mean I'm, there's not flaws in us, but are you engaged enough to actually benefit the way is being, it's being discussed here. Okay. Now, we have a responsibility to provide for leaders, but how do we protect them? Second thing we do is we honor leaders by giving them proper accountability. So Paul goes on, he says, don't accept an accusation against an elder unless it's supported by two or three witnesses. And then he says, publicly rebuke those who sin so that the rest will be afraid. Now remember, there are scriptural limits on the leadership Okay, there are things they're expected to do. And when they violate those limits or when they step 
outside the bounds of even just what a Christ follower should do. That needs to be addressed. But we don't haphazardly let people just hurl accusations at leaders and not provide any kind of protection for them. Okay, so this is where then Paul, what he's drawing on, he's actually, again, going back into the Old Testament, referencing a principle that comes out of Deuteronomy 19, this idea that is now really we've built our, our American judicial system on, that you are innocent until proven guilty. We don't just let somebody hurl an accusation and go, well, they said it, you must be true, you're done. That's the way it's supposed to work. It doesn't work that way as well lately. But, but it should work that way. We should ask that there be corroborating witnesses. That doesn't mean we say, well, you're the, the one that bringing the accusation. You're wrong. We shouldn't do that either. But what we should do is actually get the facts. That's the right way to protect everybody involved in a situation like that. But then notice, at the same time, if it is found that that leader is out of bounds, that person who has a public, who, who is doing things in public, well, then they need to be publicly rebuked. It's not something we sweep under the rug and kind of go, tis, tis, you shouldn't have done that. Don't do it again. Sorry. No, instead, it needs to be clear to everybody. This is not accepted. There's a public rebuke. And that rebuke is meant to be a warning to other leaders in that position as well as the church as a whole. What does that say? It says sin is taken seriously. We don't treat it like it's no big deal. We don't sit here and tell you on Sunday, you know what? You really need to be saved from your sin. God really cares about you walking in, in faithfulness and in righteousness before him. But you know, the pastor, we, we, come on. I mean, we're paying him money and it'd be a real mess and it'd be, it'd be, just, it'd be a lot of bad pub if, if he, we really put this out in the public. No, it's sin. The audience is the Lord. That's who we're concerned about. We'll get to that in a second. And so the conclusion here is if you aspire to this leadership, and I hope there are men in this room who would aspire to this, this role, we talked about it back in chapter 3. Then we will take you seriously, but by protecting you from false charges. Okay, that's part of how we take you seriously. But we also take you seriously by expecting things that are very serious from you. God is gracious, but he is not to be trifled with. And he is not to be treated like he's senile. Like, you know, you can just kind of do some stuff, but he might not be paying attention you know, or, or, you know, I mean, in my case, it, it, I, mean, I know generally God means this, but I, my special case, I mean, it'll be, really be okay. He, he's not paying attention. He's got other things to worry about. No. He's the God of the universe who created all things, sustains them all with a word. He is to be regarded. He is to be rightly feared, to be lived before in awe, and to be obeyed. And so we don't take the things that he takes seriously and treat them like they're not serious. And further, Timothy is reminded that his actions are done before God, Christ Jesus, and the elect angels. The elect angels refers to those who are not fallen angels. The contrast is between those we would regard, we think of as angels versus demons. And what we find throughout the scriptures is that when Jesus comes in judgment, that the angels are with him, that they are there as witnesses of his judgment. And so what we're told here is, we live quorum Deo is the Latin way of thinking about it, or Latin way of saying it. We live before the face of God. This is really important for leaders, important for all of us, but leaders especially to understand human accountability is important, but leadership that merely tries to please others or avoid being caught by others 
is rotten at the core. And it will spoil. It, it will become evident. This is part of what he talks about later in verse 25, or 24 and 25. The, the sins they will, they, that seem hidden, they will come out. And even the good that you think, oh, I'm just plugging away, doing it faithfully, that will come out as well. So we have to take account of the fact that we are accountable, most especially to God himself. And so what I would ask you in light of this, and talk about accountability for your pastor, is first off, pray for me. Pray for us. Because, one, it helps me be a better pastor because I need your prayers. But two, it also, that's part of how our, our love for one another grows. I pray for you and my love for you grows because I, I know what you're going through and I'm, I'm praying and asking the Lord to work through those situations. You pray for me and you have actual care for me. So yes, you need to be paying attention. Hey, is he doing something that's right here? Am I confused by something here? Is there something going on? Yeah, you should be paying attention to that stuff. Absolutely. Because I need to be accountable. But if it's accountability minus any kind of care or love, Man, it saps the life out of this thing. That's not how we're to treat one another. And so we pray for each other. And then I will say, assume the best and ask questions. Okay? If that's our posture with one another, I assume the best, but ask questions. Sometimes people think, oh, I'm going to assume the best, so I just, I won't ask. You know, we'll just kind of, no. If something doesn't strike you right, if you have a question about something, if you think something's off, first don't assume that there's something sinister, but instead, assume the best, but still ask the question. You absolutely should be doing that because we grow out of that. And if something's not clear, well, then let's clear it up. Or maybe something's just off, and it really does because we live before God. We really do need to deal with it. We don't sweep these things under the rug. We treat them with the seriousness that they demand because of the God that we love and serve. Now, we provide and protect leaders, but why do we do this? We've touched on it. You say, oh, you probably this will seem obvious. But we see clearly here in 1 Timothy 5, we honor leaders because they bear a distinct responsibility. We have a responsibility. And that's why the, the privilege comes with it and the accountability comes alongside of it. So again, back to chapter, or verse 17, the elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. The word there, those who are good leaders, it's literally those who rule well. There's an oversight aspect of this role. And then there's a teaching, preaching, okay, discipleship aspect leading in that regard as well. So we bear a specific responsibility. But then even later here in 22, there's a responsibility to Timothy. Where Timothy's told, hey, don't be too quick to appoint leaders and pay careful attention to the leaders that you appoint. Know their character. He's, again, hearkening back to 1 Timothy 3. Pay attention to their character. Pay attention to the kind of men that they are. We don't just put them in the spot because they're charismatic or because they've got really good skills. Pay attention here. Be careful in appointing elders. And, and it's an instruction to Timothy, but no. Paul foresees the time when Timothy's going to leave. So what Timothy's doing is setting a template that the church will follow in the future. It's important that they understand how to do this. They understand what the responsibilities are. So, so Timothy has a responsibility. And because it's his responsibility to appoint these elders in the right way, Paul says, you're going to be held accountable. If all you do is go round up the guys that you have the most fun hanging out with, 
And then those guys drop the ball because they don't have the character that this role demands. Timothy, that's going to be on you. Keep yourself pure. Watch yourself in how you go about this. You can make it really easy on yourself. That's not your calling. Your calling is to do what is right before the Lord. Keep yourself pure, which then leads to that weird sort of thing that happens out of nowhere. So don't continue drinking only water, but use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. I think what's going on here, what scholars seem to think, is that probably what Paul has in mind, he's, he's talking about this thing, but it reminds him, oh yeah, when we're talking about purity, Timothy, like, you're great, but we know you kind of have a weak constitution, okay, and you're sick again, like, you need to actually drink a little wine. And probably Timothy's not drinking wine because he's trying to set the pace. Not because the scriptures say you can't do that, but there are warnings about abuses of that. And so maybe what Timothy's done is said, you know, I'm just going to abstain from that because I'm, I'm trying to set a good example, really lead well. And Paul says, hey, look, it's really okay. Your purity is not based on having some wine that's, gonna, that's intended to be medicinally helpful. So he's probably addressing that. He's probably also pushing back against, as, as Pastor Kyle talked about a few weeks ago, those who, in the church who are arguing, these false teachers who are arguing that, that the only way you stay holy before God is to deny yourself all of these good things that God says are good. So he's pushing back on that, and he's trying to help Timothy stay healthy and do the job that's before him. And then he gets back and he says, oh yeah, and a reminder, some people's sins are obvious. Others, it's going to come out later. Be diligent. Pay attention to the character of the people that you appoint here. And why are they to be held accountable? Why is this so important? Because they have a tremendous responsibility. We're told that responsibility, Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. Here the writer of Hebrews says they keep watch. Pastors, elders are, are tasked with keeping watch over the souls of those who are a part of their church. I can't keep watch over everybody who happened to walk in here one day. But, but for those who are committed to be a part of this local church, that's the task. Literally, it means those who are sleepless over your souls. There's this idea of being a watchman. And what came to mind as I was thinking about this was Batman, right? Batman, looking dark night, looking out over Gotham. And we can't say a couple things. One, I am not Batman, okay? That's true. And I will say our responsibility has limits. There are limits, right? Again, I don't tell you what cereal to buy. There's certain things that I don't have anything, any say over. But do know that the concerns of a pastor extend far beyond an hour a week. I once didn't understand this the same way I do now. Even just prior to becoming the lead pastor of the Grove, even as an associate pastor, there's a certain weight you bear. There was a different, there was a different weight when I became the lead pastor of this church. And I, I couldn't know, people talk, talked about, and I believed them, but I didn't know it. And it, it was just different. Oh, hey, now you're the lead pastor, and there was just a heaviness that was different. So just understand that. What does double honor look like? Again, it's respect and it's provision. It's the respect to, to generally want to follow, to be a part of what's going on. Again, not blindly. That's not what it says. But having a posture that says, yeah, I want to be on board. I want to move forward. Doing the things that God says are good. And I would encourage you, in light of that, pray. Not just for the one, the, those like Pastor Kyle and I who are elders, pastors now, but pray for this church that we would have more men in this role. 
because we will need it as a church, both, both if we grow in, in width, but also to grow in depth. We need more who will serve in this, this role. And I would ask you then, as a way to do this, if you understand the responsibility that your, your pastors bear, then the, the best thing you can do in light of that is just seek to walk faithfully with the Lord. Just, just seek to really, not perfectly, but seeking to walk before him, to actually love him, to live for him, to, to want to learn what it means to know him, to, to love his ways. That, that's what we want for you. And as you seek to do that, it, it makes it a joy for us to bear that weight. Let me take you back. Last thing, 1 Timothy 6.1. Remember, Paul says, look, pay attention to how you do this so that you don't blaspheme God's name. That is, don't slander it. Don't revile it. Don't speak untruthfully about God. A, a failure to properly honor leaders, whether in the church or the workplace or elsewhere, says something false about God. But doing so displays his goodness. You see, we can respectfully follow and even provide financially for them because we recognize that God is our good, great provider, that he is giving us what we have, and he is providing care for us through them. These things come from his hand. And we can hold leaders properly accountable because we trust that God's ways are indeed good. And we understand that the responsibility our leaders bear isn't something they conjure up. It's appointed by God himself. Furthermore, we honor our earthly leaders, recognizing that either in making us long for better leadership or in giving us a taste of what good leadership is like, in both situations, they point us to our good, great, gracious, glorious, ultimate leader, the perfect leader, Jesus Christ. So may we all fight to see God's good plan advance, honoring our leaders as they do their part in the fight. Let's pray together. Father, I do indeed thank you for your wisdom and the ways that you have established your family to operate. I do pray that you would give insight to the leaders of this church, myself included, that you would help us to be a people who care for each other well, where leaders are honored, but we all understand that we have a part to play, and that we would all fight well because of your goodness and provision. Help us to trust you, walk closely with you. And I pray for those who have yet to know the goodness of being a part of your family. Lord, I pray that they would watch And that in your good timing, they would come to repent and believe. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray that you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at thegrovekc.com for more ways to connect with us. And join us again next week for another podcast from the Grove Church. Have a great day.